I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everyone. It's Brian with Wildcat Radio. And Adam and Brett recorded this episode right before Larry Scott was fired by the Pac-12. So, yes, we realize that they don't cover it in the podcast, but that's because they uh, didn't know yet. So enjoy the podcast. There's still lots of good stuff up here. And, you know, crack open a frosty beverage and, and just celebrate the moment. Celebrate the moment. Ladies and gentlemen... Wildcat Radio 2.0. Bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And we're going to start off this week's show talking some basketball. Arizona men's basketball, who is coming off a win at Oregon State. They only had the one game last week. It was... That was a blow. I guess Oregon State hadn't played in like 10 days. They had their own COVID issues. Their first game back on the floor was against Arizona, who had lost those two games to the L.A. schools. And in this one, or I should say that one, but the one we're talking about, Arizona looked really, really good to the point where you kind of realize that it's partially, at least partially responsible to Oregon State being really, really bad on the same night. Yeah, I think. I think that was pretty clear that night that uh, Oregon State had not had very many practices, but also, you know, it's it's a little from column A and a little from column B. Mm-hmm. Hey, Adam, I think that's the earliest I've worked in a Simpsons reference in an episode. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard to, to quibble with how the the Wildcats looked in general. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what you're supposed to do to a team that's rusty and not that good is – Go beat the hell out of them, right? Yeah, well, Arizona um, did miss six free throws in that game. So if you want to find something, they missed six of 26 free throws, only shot 77% from the line. Um, <laughs> they made eight of 17 threes, made 57% of their shots overall. Out-rebound on 42 to 28. Had just 10 turnovers while forcing 12. I mean, 98-64. The game wasn't even that close. It was it was as thorough a do- like it was as dominant effort we've seen from an Arizona team in a Pac-12 game in a long time. But in the context of this COVID season with Oregon State having not practiced much or played for a while, Arizona and their situation, like it was a weird win. It was a nice win. It's always fun to watch Arizona beat the crap out of whoever they're playing. But it's can you take a lot out of it? Other than like Azulis Tubelis looked good again. And Ben, geez, 31 points in that game, eight rebounds. He was a monster. Like other than that, like those are two really good things. Of their two of their freshmen really stepping up and starting to find this was Jordan Brown also coming off the bench for the first time this season had twenty five points. So I mean, it was a dominant effort. Some key guys played well, but yeah, I mean Oregon State was really really bad too. Yeah, not like the, the sad thing is for Jordan Brown. Um, you know, clearly he listens to the pod and was took offense at Ronnie uh, 
calling him Chase Jeter as a as a backhanded insult. Uh, and yeah, then I tried to defend Chase Jeter and Jordan Brown there too. I'm like, Chase Jeter I wasn't mean, a bad player. 25 points in 21 minutes off the bench is kind of insane on 10 of 12 shooting, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> he did turn the ball over once though. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> His assist to turnover ratio was zero in that game. <laughs> <sighs> There's always something to work uh, on. Um, yeah, I think that the, the biggest takeaway from that game is that might have been the game that lost Ben Matherin's sophomore season for Arizona fans. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, he looked, you know, fantastic. I think all offseason I was saying that one of him and Dalen Terry was likely to be a one and done. And it's pretty, pretty clear who is that one if it's going to be a, either, either of them at this oh, point. Oh, Ben's winning uh, the race right now. Absolutely. I mean, it's not just that he's looked good. It's how he's also looked good. Like, I think the thing that's been most surprise, pleasantly surprising maybe on the whole team this season has been his three-point shooting mm-hmm. was maybe a big question mark coming in. He was six of seven in that game. And, like, he's, you know if you didn't have the preconceived notion that he was just a raw athlete and not a good shooter, you would have no problem saying, Hey, he's probably the best three point shooter on the team, even including (laughs) Jamal Baker. Right. Um, he's most consistent. And that's something I would have never thought, but how much of that is just kind of a preconceived notion and, you know, product of his, his hard work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 31 points and eight rebounds in 30 minutes, like, Good he Lord, was by that, far the best player on the court in that game. He did everything. The chase down blocks, like the athleticism was there. And you can talk about that where like, none of, we don't know about any of these guys who would come back next season. Even if Ben has a good season, you know, maybe he's like, okay, I want to come back for my sophomore year. I want to go to the tournament. Like, you don't know. But that was a game, if he wasn't on NBA radars, it certainly helped put him on them. And it's, he's only 13 games into his career, so there's still a lot that can happen. But, yeah, the growth he's shown just as a shooter, which is a credit to him, first and foremost, Probably credit to the coaching staff, too, for identifying him as someone who could become this type of a player and for working with him to get to this point. And that's where it's like you watch that game, and this was the, like I said, this is one of the best performances Arizona's had in a long time, right? Like, take the circumstances aside. Like, they looked really good. And you watch that game, and you're like, wow, what could this team be next season when they're eligible for a tournament? You know, if they play like this, and again, Oregon State bad. But a team that we saw last week in Corvallis was a team that would do some real damage in the tournament. You know, you have a couple of bigs who are playing well, Tubelis and Jordan Brown. You have Akinjo, who had nine assists in that game and five steals and only one turnover. Like, he wasn't shooting the ball well, but he was every bit the point guard. You know, Coloco had 10 rebounds. And you have Ben, who just looks like an elite player. You know, at his height, with his athleticism, shooting the ball like that, that's the type of guy that could be your go-to scorer. Probably not this season because he is still a true freshman, but next season for sure. So if you were down on them after the L.A. game, the games against the L.A. schools the week before, you had good reason to be. But this was the game that makes you go, wow, they could have something. But again, it's one game. Is it an outlier in some ways? Probably. But in other ways, you're like, no, this is what it should be. Maybe not this year. We didn't expect this out of Ben this season. You know, but that's watching me. That wasn't that. If you say, oh, if he learns how to shoot consistently from the outside, why wouldn't he be able to do that? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Oregon State just uh, beat, you know, the also the greatest uh, Arizona State team in a generation, according to preseason <laughs> hype. Uh, but we'll get into that. Maybe that. And they beat later. USC. I think we're recording this on Tuesday. They yeah. beat USC earlier this evening. 
which I mean, I think that kind of shows that there's probably, like we said, a little bit of both of them being rusty coming off of uh, all of their COVID times, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, from an Arizona fan perspective, I mean, you're up 47-21 at halftime. My biggest complaint of that game was I was covering the Wildcat Radio Twitter handle at a nine o'clock local start, and I'm an old man, so I was ready to go to bed by halftime and did not want to be doing that for another hour at in a meaningless blowout. <laughs> oh, I definitely went to bed at halftime of that game. Like, you know what? Arizona's winning this game. I'll record the rest of it. You know, I set the sling to record the second half, and I'm like, okay. Uh, Adam needs well, to go sleep, sleep. Well, and, and realistically, if it's late and you're tired, Adam, and you're up 47-21 at halftime, if somehow Arizona were to lose that game, <laughs> you would you want actually to... want to be watching that? I've, I've done that before. I geez, a long time ago. I was doing a job where I was working overnights. And Arizona was when they hosted uh, North Carolina. So this would have been like 2007, I want to say. And I was working the overnight shift. So I'm like, I'm not going to stay up. Like, I, I can't. You know, I'm not going to do this. I'm. It was like a 10 a.m. game, I think. It wasn't a late game. It was an early game. And I'm like, I can't wake up for this. I was up working till 6 in the morning. You know, I, I, I can't. So I recorded it. Then I, there wasn't really much social media back then. So in the morning, I woke up, just went to the DVR and started watching it. Saw the way it was going. Hit the fast forward a little bit, so it kept going that way, and that was that. Like I think Arizona ended up losing by like thirty or something. I forget the exact score. I, but it was almost like I'm glad I didn't wake up for this. <laughs> like, yeah. And conversely, like to your point, yeah, if Arizona blows that game, I that's not something you want to see. But no, it was it was a really dominant performance. The question is, you know, was it a fluke based on Oregon State being bad or being bad that night, or is that something that Arizona? I mean, I don't expect Ben to make six or seven threes every game. But is a lot of that sustainable? Is it repeatable? Arizona's next two games now are against Arizona State, who you mentioned, the greatest team in Arizona State history uh, preseason. They've struggled. Currently in, they are currently in 11th place in the Pac-12. Yeah, so they're in comfortable territory. Like They're used to that, but they weren't supposed to be there this season. Um, they've had a lot of games canceled due to COVID issues as well. A lot of it their own COVID issues. Like So it's not... Like, Arizona hasn't missed a game because of their issues. They've missed games because of others. ASU has had a little bit of both. It's a, The first game is in Tempe. It won't be McHale North because there won't be anyone in the stands. So it's just a game. And then, of course, the Pac-12 moved the March 6th finale that was supposed to be in Tucson against ASU to January 25th in order to try and squeeze in some makeup games in the last week of the season. So we can talk about that. I mean, that, of course, the makeup, that game is now 9 o'clock, too. So it's like, come on, Pac-12. I like I have to stay up for that one. And even if Arizona's up by like 25 at halftime, I can't go to bed for the ASU game. But you look at this game against the Sun Devils, I would imagine for most Arizona fans, Brad, us included, in a season where Arizona's not going to any postseason, sweeping ASU, that would be enough. I mean, if the, if I put on my fan hat in that, it's in that setup, I don't just want to sweep them. I want to embarrass them, especially with all of the smack talk <laughs> of... Guard you, which apparently means, uh, you know, maybe ASU is learning that guard you means you, you're you not, uh, that doesn't preclude you from having uh, post players if you're just focused on well, being guard you. I think it's more like we can't guard you is how it's been. No. But I mean, they've been, they've been struggling. They've lost, what, five of six, uh, including to Oregon State, uh, UTEP, uh, San Diego State, and and. Barely beat Grand Canyon by one point. Yeah, they was Rumby Martin three that saved him in that one. Otherwise, they would have lost six straight. Um, which you know, that's they're 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 clearly struggling a bit. Um, 
you know, their their outside shooting, I don't think, has been what they would like. Well, it's <laughs> you know, what they need. Shoot- it's what well, they need. They don't have any post presence. I'm looking at their stats. They have shot 238 three-pointers this year and only made 75 of them. <laughs> That's 31.5%, which is well, not great. Remy Martin's 8 of 37 on the season, which means he's going to make eight threes Thursday. Oh, Probably. <laughs> like, like, this is what happens. Like, ASU's not an untalented team. Remy Martin's a senior point guard who has torched Arizona in the past. I'm excited to see James Akinjo match up with him because Akinjo seems like that type of point guard, but we think he is. Where he'll look at the challenge and be like, all right, he wants that challenge to try to stop him. Josh Christopher is a super, I mean, one of the better freshmen, super hyped, five-star guy, probably a one-and-done player, I would think so. He's good, but Arizona should be able to match up with him. Like, on paper, and really what we've seen on the court, Arizona should have a matchup advantage in this game. I don't know what position or what position they are lesser at. Like is Matherin on Christopher? Like that's a good matchup, you know. Uh, no. Matherin's been arguably as good as Josh Christopher, especially recently. Uh, Akinjo versus Remy Martin. Probably I'd give the edge to Remy Martin, but is it a big edge? We'll find out. But then everything else, the rest of the lineup, like Tubelis, he's been good. Coloco back in the starting lineup, he's uh, does what he does. <laughs> you know, Terrell Brown, like. This isn't a better Jordan Brown. Like Arizona has, Arizona has depth. They have a post presence, like size. Both of those things, like neither of those things, are something that ASU can claim. So yep. matchup wise, Arizona should have the advantage. Yeah, and I think you saw things in the last game if it carries over that are encouraging against uh, Arizona State. Um, you know, Kristen Coloco had ten point or ten rebounds in seventeen minutes against Oregon State, which against ASU he should kind of have that kind of freak. Uh, rebounds per minute kind of statistic, mm-hmm. right? Um, Jordan Brown, you know, is somebody that clearly is very effective offensively against average ta- average or worse talent. He really makes the people that are inferior pay uh, in the post offensively. So I'm looking to them to have two huge games. Um, and then I think the, the intriguing thing is when you start looking at what can Tubelis do the you know I think the real question defensively is, you know you talked about maybe putting Ben on Josh Christopher and holding Verge uh, down a little bit. Verge was Verge was where I was going because I'm not sure if I'm not sure if Terrell Brown can hold that down himself. Um, so I think that's that's a, a matchup to watch. And Marcus Bagley, um, what they do with him? I mean, he hasn't played a lot. He was hurt, but he came back. He had a good game against Oregon State. Yeah, I'm not convinced he's that much of a threat you have to plan for though if if asu wins this game you know two of three of christopher remy martin alonzo verge have to go off at least right and then they probably need to get another couple guys to surprisingly contribute mm-hmm. um i don't think i don't think the line has come out yet right um but i'd be i'd be curious to see that you know as you mentioned it's not so much a mikhail north um but it'll be empty stands with uh, so that that might be advantage to ASU in their home stadium. Yeah, they're more used to. Not, not, yeah. not that's not fair. These the recent ASU teams have had crowds. Like that joke is for another time. But uh, you look at it; it certainly seems like Arizona. The way Arizona loses this game, or the way conversely ASU wins it, is by getting Arizona's bigs into foul trouble and making twenty something threes, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen threes, just going off. You know, Ray Martin having one of those games like he's had against Arizona, where he just can't miss where he's shooting 27-footers for no reason, and they're going in. Like, that's what it seems like, or Verge or Christopher or someone like that, or even Bagley goes off like that. Like, it's possible. 
And Arizona's defense has not exactly been consistently great. They've been cap- they're capable of being a good defensive team, but they haven't been great this season, yeah. not consistently. So that's something to that keep an eye on. But if Arizona can work their bigs in this game, and they have enough of them, Jordan Brown, Azulis Tabellis, like especially, Coloco can be a defensive presence and make ASU be a jump-shooting team, make them be a one-shot-and-done team, you know, no offensive rebounds, and maybe get their lack of depth down low into foul trouble on the other end, Arizona should win. You know, like, yeah, It's, it's th- basketball, but that's also been the case for Arizona most seasons, other than maybe two years ago, like the Brandon Randolph, Brandon Williams team where ASU was the more talented team. Arizona's had the advantage, even last season, when Arizona blew that big lead in Tempe, you know, which was like a month and a half after just destroying them in Tucson. Like Arizona's been the more talented team up and down the roster. Just certain things have happened where they, you know, fluky performances. I don't want to say fluky. Yeah, fluky performances from Remy Martin or Arizona getting into foul trouble and having those collapses. Like it's it's possible. It absolutely is. Yeah, I think I think you touched on a, a little bit of what I think is the key is the one shot and done. Like defensive rebounding is going to be important. You know, I think how Arizona's guards handle on ball defense and how effective they are against Remy Martin, Alonzo Verge and, and Christopher for that matter. You know, if the UCLA defense from the Arizona guards shows up, then ASU has got a real chance. Mm-hmm. If they're, if they can't keep, you know, Remy Martin in front of them or at least contained a little bit. Um, Cause that's where, that's where it all breaks down. And that's what ASU is going to be trying to do because they're not trying to be a jump shooting team, right? They're trying to get, get penetration and then try to get some easy shots and then open threes. Um, so, to me, the, the key players in this game, offensively, are the post guys, and and defensively, you need you need Terrell Brown with Jamal Baker out. You need Terrell Brown and James Akinjo to really step up in their on-ball defensive verge and uh, and Remy Martin because if yeah. they don't do that, it's going to be much more competitive than you think. But it's also a rivalry game, but it's a rivalry game without fans. So I don't know how that dynamic plays out if that makes the unlikely outcome scenarios that always seem to arise in rivalry games less likely right i think because you mentioned especially like raymar and alonzo verge who's arizona's stopper for the backcourt is it dalen terry because he's coming off the bench right now and he's a good defender but he's a freshman lanky but a freshman ben isn't a great defender yet but he has athleticism is it terrell brown is it a kinjo like who would you i mean that just matchup wise they may have to have those guys on the on martin and verge but I mean, do you have like a Josh Green that you would put on them, you know, or it's, it's not a Kinjo. I could tell you that much, <laughs> <laughs> or at least it certainly wasn't in the UCLA game. He was awful defensively. Yeah. Um, Terrell Brown, I think, has the attitude and work ethic, but I don't know if he has the size and athletic ability. Right. So that could be problematic, like in terms of like if they need like the Arizona's bigs, you mentioned like the guards being defensively, of course, but Coloco, Tubelis, Jordan Brown, when they're down low, they're going to have to be able to be a presence. They're going to, have to be in position and by doing that, not get into foul trouble, which we know Remy Martin especially is really good at drawing fouls. So it's it's not a trap game. Arizona's not that good and ASU's not that bad for it to be a trap game, especially on the road. But it's one that Arizona should win, I think, talent-wise and roster construction-wise, but very easily could lose. But they get them twice now in consecutive games they play ASU. First one in, in Tempe, the next one in Tucson, which is a pretty interesting dynamic um i'm not sure if that's trying to think maybe that happened before once in like a pac-12 tournament game a long time ago where arizona finished up the season against asu and then played him in the first round of the pac-12 tournament i think that was a bad arizona year i think it was one of the james harden years so it was definitely a bad arizona year great <laughs> asu years though <laughs> but it's just i don't know if it changes anything 
But certainly, like, I guess Kirk Carissa won't be back for an ASU game, you know, because he's still scheduled to come back in February. Other than that, I mean, each team's dealing with injuries right now. Each team's dealing with just this weird COVID situation. I don't really like the Pac-12 moving the game, especially to 9 p.m. Because, like, 9 p.m. Arizona time, really? Like, one, no back is going to watch it. So they're obviously saying, well, Arizona's not going to the tournament. ASU's not very good. So they don't need any eyes on that game. And they're also saying they don't care about my well-being because I'm going to stay up and watch that thing. And I'm an old man. I need to go to bed. Preaching to the choir, my friend. <laughs> Preaching to the choir. Um, ever since we get me and me and the fiance got that the the kitten most recently, we haven't set an alarm since, and we're usually up before five. So a nine a.m. start is rough. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think you know we'll see. I think we know it. it it'll probably tell. We'll probably know pretty quickly if Arizona is ready both defensively and with the perimeter and offensively. You say that. The last time they played in Tempe, it looked like Arizona was ready, and then they ended up losing. Yeah, I, I think that I think that there is it's a different thing in a rivalry game where there's no fans. So I don't think momentum is nearly what it is. I think the likelihood of just the better matchups and better team winning out more consistently is more likely. Well, as long um, as with the rivalry game with no fans, Arizona doesn't give up the opening kickoff for a touchdown, then fumble on their second play from scrimmage, give up another touchdown, be on 14 nothing less than a minute into the game. If they can avoid that, then I like their chances, yes. I mean, if Arizona's basketball team is giving up a kickoff touchdown – then I think our strategy is all wrong. <laughs> <sighs> well, hopefully for everyone's sake, because by the next time we do a show, Arizona will play to ASU twice. Hopefully we're talking about a sweep of the Sun Devils, because then no matter what happens the rest of the season, obviously we want Arizona to play well, and beating ASU would probably be a sign that they are playing well. But in this season especially, I think, if they got to win two games, win those two. Uh, Brett, let's take a break, and we come back. Let's talk about some football, because there's been some player movement uh, to Arizona, away from Arizona, not coming to Arizona, and it's left the roster in a pretty interesting situation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back. And as we talked about before the break, Brett, Arizona, or as I say as we talked about, as I said, because that wasn't really a conversation. That was a tease. Uh-huh. Radio. Now, as for Arizona, going into last season, there was a lot of confidence, not a lot of confidence, but there was confidence in the quarterback situation. You had Grant Cannell, you had Will Plummer backing him up, you had Rhett Rodriguez, you had Kevin Doyle, Luke Ashworth. Like, you had some quarterbacks, especially Gunnell, though. After the season, he decides to transfer to Memphis. Okay, fine. 
We have Will Plummer, Kevin Doyle, Ashworth, because Rhett Rodriguez transferred to, but that's cool. Not, not a problem. Largely because Arizona's supposed to get Clay Millen. Uh, three, four-star recruit, somewhere between three and four, committed to the co- old coaching staff, and he hadn't said anything about decommitting when they were fired. You know, he was still committed. And then word came out last week that he decommitted, which I think was a surprise to a lot of people because you figured, well, like one, are you really like tied to Kevin Sullivan and Noel Mazzoni? Like, that's your thing? <laughs> and then two, like, well, Jed Fish is a quarterback coach, NFL coach. They're bringing this great coaching staff, which I think everyone agrees is a top-notch coaching staff. Why would he decide not to come to Arizona? But as of right now, he's opened up his recruitment. I think I read a thing where he said Arizona's still in the mix. You know, he's still listening, but he's just looking out at what else is out there. And unless Arizona can turn that one around and get him back, their quarterback room looks, well, it's it's shallow. Our, the quarterback room next year currently resembles this year's middle linebacker room, which is to say <laughs> there's two guys and a lot of question marks. Um, yeah, the, I think the Millen thing was surprising just because like the logic of everything and quarterbacks tend to commit early because usually people are only taking one uh, per class, per school. You want to find what's the right fit. Commits it, you know. You don't want to be the last one in the in the game of musical chairs if you're a if you're a quarterback, right? Uh, so I think the general, you know, conventional wisdom was like, oh well, we got a guy who's an offensive guru and quarterback coach, if nothing else, um, a pretty solid, you know, staff he's assembled. Oh yeah, of course he'll come in and be. And you know, there's I think there were already articles of most like you know most likely freshman to compete for a starting role, and he was in yeah. that in that role. Um, I, it's hard. It's hard to know at this point. Um, what drove that decision? You know, it, it, it. The funny thing is, more broadly, you know, there was talk of uh, Holinsky maybe as a target. Some other transfer targets. All of those guys are starting. Those dominoes are starting to fall in other places. Uh, we're recording on January nineteenth. Holinsky, I believe, committed to Northwestern. Uh, university. Yeah, wrong Wildcats. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's only like you know twelve Wildcats teams in Power Five. <laughs> Who schools. are we? The Wildcats. <laughs> Who are we gonna beat? The Wildcats. Yeah, um, there, that's another Simpsons reference. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so it you know it's it's curious, which makes you kind of raise an eyebrow and wonder if maybe um, Clay Millen has an offer we don't know about. <laughs> um, or you know, there's always the possibility that Jed Fish and staff aren't as high on him as others are uh, to not recruit him that aggressively. But it leaves Arizona in an interesting spot where you know what do you, what approach do you take here? If if you just assume that Millen is gone, most of the transfer options are gone. You know, do you want to try to go a grad transfer route for just a you know, for a body, for guaranteeing, you know, competing for a starting job? Do you roll with yes. Will you, we, Plummer? You need bodies. Like, I like Will Plummer enough as a prospect, but I don't feel comfortable with him as the starting quarterback right now. Now, do I look at them and say Jed Fish and this coaching staff should be able to create a game plan that would suit him? You know, like, I think this this coaching staff, I believe they'd be able to coach Cool Tate and get the most out of him, you know, instead of trying to make him fit whatever they want to do. So if this coaching staff is good or at least as good as we're starting to think they are then I think Will Plummer's a talented enough quarterback to be effective does that mean that he's what we thought Grant Cannell would be like is he more BJ Danker than a new Solomon at their best 
Probably. You know, he's not the guy you want to put on his shoulder and say, win us the football game. But at the same time, like, he hasn't proven that. You know, through a few, couple of interceptions last season, no touchdowns, showed flashes of potential, but just could you feel comfortable with him being the starting quarterback? And then you have Kevin Doyle, another scholarship guy who is going to transfer probably until Gunnell decided to leave. We don't know how good he is. I mean, you have to think that you can't be, but even if he's ta- the most talented quarterback on the roster, you don't know. You haven't seen him. So can you feel confident in that? So if you're Jed Fishick, you need at least one more scholarship quarterback. You know, probably, I don't know if they're looking at maybe the grad transfers, people who are going to transfer in the spring, you know, just different situations, but you need at least one more body just for competition, preferably a veteran, someone who's played a little bit at the, you know, the college level, I would think. Well, do you, this is a question for you, Adam. Would your preference of a transfer quarterback be more experienced with, uh, less time of eligibility remaining or somebody that's younger, like younger that has more years of eligibility left to create more of a competition situation. I would have no preference to be honest with you. I could see the merit in both of them. I think you need to get the best quarterback for your system. If it's a one year guy, then that says, and that says, okay, you believe that maybe you can develop Will Plummer to take over the next season or one of these other guys, or you think you can go get your own quarterback for next season? Because I don't think getting a guy who could play two more seasons or three years prevents you from going and getting a high-caliber quarterback in next year's recruiting class. You know, most quarterbacks, I mean, we, we've seen them. I mean, they go to places where they think they can play, yes, but most of them are confident enough to go wherever they think they can win the job, too. So I, I can understand if you go with a one-year rental just to kind of be a gap player, and I don't know, saw Devin Modster, who was at UCLA for a stretch. Like he entered the transfer portal. So assuming he had something to do with fish when he was there, the timing seems to work out. Like he's Former not great. Arizona commit. Yeah. Like he's not a great quarterback, but he'd be something. And if that means he could come in and just run the offense and be kind of that caretaker guy, who's not going to be like to her style of offense, you can win with that. Probably, you know, if you run the ball, don't turn the ball over, make a few throws like you can win that way. But I wouldn't say I want that preferred to like a guy who could come in and start for three years. If they're that good. Like, Helinski, if he would have come to Arizona, would have been around for, what, three years probably? Like, I would have taken that too, happily. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do because they're kind of in a situation where they're backed into a corner because they need somebody. So it might just be whoever they can get, the best they can get is fine, which I can live with. But if they do have choices and they go the one-year route, that either means they're confident they can get a quarterback for next season or they believe in Will Plummer learning this offense because you're still going to need a quarterback next year then. And would you want a true freshman to be your starter next season? Probably not, unless you're getting one of those five-star guys. You don't want a true freshman starting next year either. So I see the merits in both. But right now, I just think they need they need a body that they can feel confident in. That's it. Well, and I think, well, here's another interesting thought for all of this discussion. We talk about, you know, can, can they run the Jed Fish offense? Is it the right fit? Do we know what the right fit at quarterback is and skill set for what Jed Fish wants well, to do? That's what I'm or saying. Conversely, or conversely, is Jed Fish the guy that will absolutely adapt his offense to the talent that he has, right? And right now he's basically got a largely blank slate. I think Will Plummer is kind of a guy that maybe is a pocket pass, but seems pretty mobile. I don't know. He can maybe kind of go both ways. I don't. I think Kevin Doyle is more the pocket passer type, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've been offering some kind of higher rated guys in future classes uh, that seem, you know, I, I haven't looked into them too detailed to know what their their biggest strengths or weaknesses are. But Jed Fish also, was, like, I think he was active in the DTR recruit at UCLA, a more mobile quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's there's so many there's there's more question marks than there are answers right now. And what I'm what I'm hearing from you, Adam, is we just need a guy with a throwing arm and a pulse. <laughs> that would help. <laughs> Definitely, that would help. But like you look at that though, and you talk about the Jetfish offense. I tend to think, and again, this is just me assuming. And now I'm on the best case scenario. But he's the type of guy who could coach different offenses because think of the quarterbacks he's been around. You know, he hasn't necessarily been the offensive coordinator all these places, but he's been with offenses. I mean, Michigan. He was just in, or in New England with Cam Newton. You know, he had the different quarterbacks. He had Josh Rosen and UCLA. Like He's coached a variety of different styles of quarterbacks to varying levels of success. So I'd like to think the best coach can make it work. You know, and like that his system is kind of like the Dietzik coaches type of their system. Like they have an idea, but they mold it to the, te- the players they have, which I think at least for the first couple of years of the Kevin Sullivan era, that's what they needed. You know, they they had a quarterback who showed a great skill set in certain things, and it seemed like they tried to change him, and probably partially because that quarterback, Tate, wanted to change a little bit and learn those things. But the best coaches, especially early on, and they're like, you have that balance of are you trying to instill your system so much that you kind of don't get as much of your players that you have because you're just like, the system is the most important thing. We're going to be here for five years, six years, seven years. Instilling this is that that's the most important thing. Or you say, you know, we can adjust it here a little bit and just try to win some games while we're doing it. The last coaching staff didn't do that. They didn't do like a hybrid thing. They just went with their system, and three years later, they're gone. I feel like this coaching staff is more apt to, hey, this is what we have. Let's see what does best. Well, I, I, that's an interesting point because I think that almost applies to some of the comments that some of the other coaches have even talked about. You know, the they did the media car wash with all the coaches. Um, you know, one of the, the big highlights of that was Don Brown's interview, right? And he was answering questions like, do I run a three-man front? Do I run a, run a four-man front? Yes. <laughs> He's like, you know, do I? And I think he even literally had a quote in there saying, uh, you know, if you, have some, if you have some guys that are good at doing certain things and not great at doing other things, that's okay. Let them do the things they're good at. And I'm wondering if we're starting to see maybe some emergence of the Jedfish staff of a little bit more flex, flexing to what the, the capabilities of your roster are. Uh, even if that means not being a, you know, for lack of a better term, a slave to your system. So like, you know, Don Brown, read between the lines, says if somebody can just rush the passer and that's all they can do, great. Put him in on third down on passing downs. And it's like, don't Let be him go worried the about quarterback. tipping. Yeah. Don't be worried about them tipping off that you're going to be having that guy be a pass rusher because if he's good at being a pass rusher, you know, he can win the one-on-one battle, right? Mm-hmm. Put him in the best chance to be successful and don't ask him to do other things. It's it's um, easier to have that mentality on defense with certain guys than it is like a quarterback, mind you. Like, they have to have a system, but it wouldn't shock me if the system is adaptable. You know, you have to just, with the talent you have, and the question is, what talent do you have? Is Will Plummer, like, is he capable of being a starting quarterback for a successful Pac-12 school? We don't know. You know, he looked, well, he, he performed admirably when he was called upon last season in some pretty bad situations on a really bad team with a terrible offensive line, which may be part of the reason why they haven't landed any of these quarterbacks that were transferring. You know, the offensive line is still, as far as we know, not good. But, you know, Will Plummer's there, and like I said, I don't feel terrible if he's the guy, but I don't feel confident that he, you know, will be that dude for them. Well, and I'm, I'm thinking back to another thing that I saw somewhere that Jed Fish talked about in terms of even just specifically talking about the quarterback spot, I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere, and keep me honest if you remember this, Adam, where he said that he expects the quarterback to be under center 30 to 50% of the time or something like that, right? Which was weird. Um, so that that's, again, to me, another hint that he is not going to be a slave to a system or an approach, which, you know, in the spread offense with, you know, 
uh, shotgun and spread it around like it never makes made sense to me why like you act like a player is incapable of going under center in a goal line situation right mm-hmm. like when the system or, or when the, the situation calls for it so you know if you're taking all these things and piece it together it seems to me like maybe we're seeing that Jed Fish is going to have it, it might be complicated for a year or two but Jed Fish and his staff are going to take the approach of don't be the slave to the system. Adapt to your talent. Develop your talent. Put everyone in their best chance to be successful, and we'll see what happens. Well, at least this season, because I would think they have an idea of what they want to do, and as they can start recruiting the players to fit that, then we'll start to see it. But certainly right now, I would hope they kind of say, they're going like, to go after the players you want that you think fit what you want to do, but adapt to what you have. I, I think that makes total sense. You know, I would because you have to have some sort of a system. You have to have some sort of style you want to run, and you will recruit players to fit that, offensively and defensively. But for right now, and maybe that'll tell us a lot. Whatever quarterback they find, now it's possible to say, "Hey, I can make it work." I just need someone with experience. You know, whether it's a guy who's more of a runner, or more of a pocket passer, whatever they go get, might tell us something, or it also might tell us nothing. Because more than anything, maybe it's who they go recruiting, like their recruiting class, their first full recruiting class. That'll probably tell us a little bit more. Right now, they're just trying to piece it together. You know, because they lost some talent. They lost their starting quarterback. You know, they lost one of the other quarterbacks on their roster who had experience. Not that Brett Rod was a guy you want starting for you, but he had experience. You know, so they're thin there. So they just need somebody. But going forward, as they kind of get more entrenched into the system, into the roles here at in U of A, I would imagine we're going to start to see a picture, you know, be painted there. Like, we'll start to have a better idea of what they want. But it's probably like they want five-star quarterbacks. Imagine that, you know. <laughs> like, what a brilliant Hot scheme. Tank. Yeah, so we'll I'm going to get the recruit the best players and play them. <laughs> uh, that's bold, really bold strategy. But, but you mentioned the coaching staff went through a bit of a car wash last week. There more introductory press conferences. It was all like on one day. Let's take a break and then talk about what they had to say. We're back, and as we talked about, Arizona's coaching staff. I guess then the day of COVID, especially usually you introduce guys when they get hired. They do their press conference, and that's I remember last year when Arizona hired Paul Rhodes. They had that press conference, and Andy Boo, like, that's what they did. This time, they decided to have them all do a Zoom press conference, like every coach, on the same day. It was quite the Arizona football car wash for the media. There's a lot of... I watched some of it, Brett. I know you watched some of it, too. Not all of it. There's just way too much. But we can start with Don Brown, because he was easily one of the most exciting and fun ones. And it's partly because I think... Well, his hire was huge, right? He has the pedigree, the track record... He, he's a defensive coordinator, and geez, Arizona could use a much better defense. So people are really interested in, this, in what he had to say. And one of the most fun things, I, did, and I have a thing on AZ Desert Swarm about kind of going through the, his press conference and everything, but he was really excited. He got fired up talking about his defense and his scheme and how he goes about things. Like That's, that's some good energy from a 65-year-old. Yeah. When, <laughs> you know, we, we were complaining about the 9 p.m basketball game starts being an old man he's what 65 years old and he's having to calm him literally verbally say he needs to calm himself down <laughs> in a zoom press conference uh talking about his approach to football um but boy you know <laughs> that press conference just continued what we saw in video clips from when he was back at michigan and you know there's there's something to be said for that straight talking good old fush football guy that just says you know if his basic philosophy is he need to run fast and you need to solve your solve your problems with aggression and be a good tackling team, you know that 
that's music to my ears from after watching too many years of Marcel Yates defenses and <laughs> you know dropping eight into coverage against a Mike Leach offense to get torched for seventy something points. Well, you um, mentioned earlier too, like he mentioned or he talked about just catering to players' strengths. He's like he doesn't worry about what a guy can't do. You know, he's like basically what can a guy do? And he he mentioned a player he had up at Michigan, Josh uh, Uchi. He's like he was a great pass rusher, couldn't do much else. So he's like we're gonna let you rush the passer. Like it, it seems so simple, and it's a lot easier to say than having press. If you have guys that can't do anything, then it's a problem. Right? <laughs> they have to find like assuming everyone who's at this level can do something and making it work with your defense. But like, it's if you're a defensive prospect, you have to love the idea of playing for a coach like that. And I imagine because Don Myers is not just lip service; like he's been coaching for so long. Like I don't think he, he would go. I don't think he could go up there and just lie. <laughs> like people would know that he's lying. Like he's telling the truth as he sees yeah. it, and he kind of gives you the impression that. They're probably going to struggle for the first couple of years because the talent's not going to be there. But he might be, and this coaching staff might be the type of coaching staff that's going to be able to maximize what talent is there. Like Paul Rhodes, I thought, did a pretty good job last year with what he had, yeah. which wasn't much, especially at linebacker. You know, with now you get another Harris in there, you get a few more players, and you start to think, okay, maybe with Don Brown leading the way, they could be they could take that jump. Not a big jump, mind you, but that small step towards improvement, which would be noticeable for a team that was so bad defensively otherwise. Yeah, and you know, you talk about the the lack of talent on the current roster, um, relatively. I mean, certainly relative to what he was playing with it in Michigan. Um, but I think the competition he's playing against in Michigan is maybe also different. You know, it wasn't that long ago that before before he went to Michigan, Don Brown was a successful defensive coach at Boston College, UConn, Maryland, UMass. Like those aren't exactly uh, you know the, the the power programs of college football. You know, so that that augurs well for his ability to get more out of less. I think the real question is how fast people can adopt his system because I think there's a lot of pre-snap reads, a lot of you know, figuring it out and making you know a lot of complex approaches or just varying your approaches in terms of how many guys you're sending and from where um, that might cause problems in the in the short term. But you know, I think you know we talked about on the defense. There's not a Darth of talent. It's just there was a complete lack of bodies. At did you say Darth of talent? Yeah, Darth. Sorry, Darth. Darth would be you know Darth Vader. Darth Vader. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay. Darth I just wanted to make sure I caught that. <laughs> um, you know that like there's there's talent at the cornerback position. Yes, not maybe a lot of depth. There's some there's some talent at the defensive line. There's some talent at the outside linebacker spots. Uh. You know, last season it was more about the safeties and middle linebackers just having no bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and with the new recruiting class and some people coming in, people coming back from injuries, there's probably more to play with. There's it, the, the the defensive talent is probably not as bad as we think, and that what it looks like on paper. That's not to say they're going to be great, but I don't think it's as bad as people think it is. Um, you know, then it'll just be a matter of how fast we're able to adopt that. And you know, we talked about I think last week. Uh, getting the new linebacker coach that already knows Don Brown's system. Uh, Did we confirm if it's Dudzinski or Dudzinski? I'm going to go with Dudzinski. And a, that sounds and a way back. cooler. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that you have a linebacker coach that has been with Don Brown for a number of stops, knows his system, knows exactly what he's looking for, that means at least, you know, when you're getting, like right now, he's not having to spend that time figuring out the system and learning it, mm-hmm. he's able to focus on recruiting and planning and evaluating the current roster, right? 
And that goes a long way, I think, to uh, translating onto, you know, onto the uh, practice field and spring practice when you're trying to implement that, right? And being able to have more than just Don Brown explain where you need to be, what kind of reads you need to be doing. If you have two people that can go, that players can go to for answers, that goes a long way to getting there a little bit more quickly, you know. So, I'm 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 not gonna say I'm optimistic, but I'm hella intrigued at how fast they'll be able to get there. Um, and you know, God God bless Don Brown. The the, the simplicity of just solve your problems with aggression is, <laughs> I think, the right defensive mindset, right? And like that's your just that's your that's your operating system as a defender in a Don Brown defense. Like you may not be in the right spot, but you know what's worse than being in the in the wrong not being in the right spot is being indecisive, right? Yeah. And that's that's what kills you. Um, at least if you're aggressive, you know, you have a chance of hitting the quarterback before there's the <laughs> they catch the the missed, you know, coverage in the in the in the backfield or in the you know, down the field, right? Well, and he also uh, talked about his nickname of Dr. Blitz. He chuckled at that, but he even said like they blitz maybe fifty to sixty percent of the time, which is a lot, mind you. But it's also like creating the illusion of pressure. And he talked about how you bring a certain guys in the way you can disguise it. It looks like a blitz. It looks like pressure, which, I mean, that's just coaching, right? If you can, if you can confuse the quarterback, you're going to be in pretty good shape defensively. Um, one thing that I do wonder about, too, because you mentioned installing that system and having Dudzinski, who might be a little bit better at it because he knows it, is last year, you know, they had a week of spring practice and then the COVID pandemic started. And then they didn't really get to do much of anything until... Like they start up, then they stopped, then they start up again. It was definitely not the most normal of defensive installs for the entire new coaching staff. We're still in the pandemic. Hopefully we're getting closer to the end of it. But it certainly seems like in terms of an offseason, Arizona will try to manage some sort of one. You know, some sort of a standard offseason. Standard enough. I know they had a video last weekend at the work they're on the field doing some workouts with a new strength and conditioning coach. You know, like they're kinda of having somewhat of an off season program which might help in installing this new defense as well. So like we'll see. Um, but you know, Brett, I do think one thing that'll help them too is some of the players. I mean, there's been some roster movement, like the guys they have, like we've almost like Lucas Haversick decided to come back for senior season. I don't think that'll help Don Brown so much other than the fact that his defense won't be starting off with terrible field position, you know, cause Haversick's just a beast when it comes to kickoffs. Um, defensively though, Arizona did lose Mikey Irving. He went to the transfer portal. Not great. I mean, you want depth, but some of the guys they needed back, like J.B. Brown, Trevon Mason coming back, like those are bigger deals other than Mikey Irving deciding not to come back if he ends up not coming back. Like we all know how the transfer portal has been going. Um, offensively, though, Arizona did pick up a commitment over the last week, a big commitment, like in stature, perhaps maybe a little bit more than uh, name recognition. But what do you got on the guy? So, Jackson McBride committed out of uh, Queen Creek, Castile High School. You know, six seven, three hundred five pound tackle. Not a lot of offers, but had interest from you know UCLA and Ole Miss. Interesting. Uh, you know, the, the the interest thing is I bring up not just not just to try to pump him up as a recruit, but you know we've talked a lot about how COVID makes like the recruiting process and season a completely different thing where some of these guys you know uh would maybe be the the, the you know the diamonds in the rough they go to camps all off season and that's how they you know get more get more attention get more buzz get more offers get bigger offers or at least get more interest to oh i don't know if you're oregon you offer a player on the morning of signing day and steal them away from arizona as an offensive lineman um 
you know, the the other thing about um, McBride that's really interesting to me. So, first of all, in-state recruit, you know, developing more of a pipeline. You know, Castile High School, I think, has had some pretty good talent. You know, even even a, a you know not a great offer list, but his generally rated a three star recruit, number thirty five player according in Arizona according to two four seven. But he's also committed as a preferred walk on, which is really intriguing given Arizona's roster crunch in terms of you know a max of twenty eight guys to add this season. Uh, but you know we as we well know by the end of last season we were very low in overall scholarship <laughs> players. Um, you know, in, in terms of a in terms of the way the world is right now with COVID and the, the limits on uh, scholarships uh, in a given class, a preferred walk-on for a guy like this is a is something that Arizona can offer with a much more certainty of likelihood of getting a scholarship in not too far down the line. And playing that, time. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a lot, like, I don't want to, like, make a huge deal out of a, you know, a three-star in-state commit. But there's a lot to like in terms of raw materials. The fact that you're not burning uh, a scholarship for this class immediately, you know, a year or two down the line when you can actually, you know, you have much more room to play with in terms of the total scholarship numbers. You know, for him, for Jackson's perspective, I'm sure he's saying, oh, I'm going to get to compete and probably get a scholarship as soon as possible as a preferred walk-on in their current roster crunch. Um, And Arizona gets a a big kid that's in-state that has some really intriguing development potential. And by the way, he's an in-state and developed that pipeline. So, yeah. you know, there's, it's one of the, this is one of those kind of low-key things uh, in terms of recruiting that isn't going to be, you know, making, you know, big making big waves or you know, be the he's not going to be a program changer, right? But this is how you build that kind of quality depth. And right now, this is Jed Fish and their staff using their current roster situation to their advantage and making their preferred walk-on role be more appealing than. Uh, even getting a you know going to NAU where he already has a scholarship offer, right? Well, they're they're definitely making a concerted effort to recruit Arizona, and <laughs> we've talked about it. we're both kind of under the same mind. I think like you don't really need to like just because the players from Arizona doesn't mean you have to get them, right? Just get the best talent wherever you can. But certainly, like they're not gonna they're gonna have a hard time keeping like the Bijan Robinsons from going to Texas or Lathan Ransom's going from to Ohio State. Like that's that's a tough sell. But the guys who are not five stars, maybe like the four stars or the high three stars, you should be absolutely able to compete for them. You know, and it seems like Fish, I mean, that was probably part of the sales pitch when he got the job, when he interviewed. But making a real effort to recruit Arizona, and to some degree, that probably means maybe taking guys, finding a way to convince guys from good programs, in-state programs, who may not be the best players, but to build that pipeline, like you said. And we've heard of, uh, Fish said, they want to do a weekly Zoom chat with high school coaches in Arizona. Like I imagine one of those happening this week. You know, like just ways to, and we've seen a lot of tweets over the last week from high school coaches all over the Valley being like, hey, great talking with the coaching staff. It's, you know, seeing something about how hard they're working and all that. I think one of them was a former ASU player. I forget where he was coaching, but he's like, you know, excited to see what Jed Fish and they're going to be doing down there. Like, it doesn't mean anything until it means something. You know, all of a sudden when that coach helps that player and says, yeah, Arizona's a good place to go. Those relationships, they matter. (laughs) And I I remember reading an article in The Athletic um, I think it was last year, a year ago or so, about how Kevin Sumlin has just done a terrible job recruiting Arizona. You know, had all these guys in Tucson that he couldn't even come close to getting. Now, again, I don't blame him for not getting Bijan Robinson or Lathan Ransom. Like those guys, if you go to Ohio State or Texas, you probably weren't going to Arizona. But to not even try, like that, that I guess that says that's what the, I, I remember being like, eh, I'm not excited about this article because you're not going to get them. But 
you kind of see the difference now in what Jed Fish's staff has done just in the first couple of weeks in trying to recruit Arizona. And they talk about Southern California, some Texas, you know, Nevada going to be their recruiting hotbeds. Sure. But if they can be that team, if they can be Arizona, like the main Arizona football program in terms of where Arizona high schoolers go, that does mean some people like that. And you probably have a better chance of getting those preferred walkouts. Cause like, Oh, my parents can come down, just drive down from Phoenix and watch my games. You know, it's a little bit easier. You get the right guys. So it's certainly the right approach. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win a lot of games with these guys. Although, like, to your point, this lineman, the physical tools seem to be there. He's big. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't coach 6'7". No, you, you, you can't. So to convince a guy like that to come to Arizona, we don't know. I mean, you said there were interest, what, UCLA? I was one of them. Like, that's a pretty good program, too. So to take a preferred walk on Arizona, that's a nice sign. And that's what a lot of this offseason is, is just nice signs. But the work that we believe Jed Fish and his staff would put in, they seem to be doing so. Like, they seem to be putting it in. And they don't have a lot of scholarships left to fill. So anyone they can get to walk on is great, <laughs> you know? But it's it's kind of fun watching this. It's almost like the birth of a program or, like, a new direction, like a real new direction. You know, and it started from the bottom because people did not like the Jed Fish hire. They did not like the Jed Fish hire. And I know we weren't very excited about it either. But now we're going to say, okay, what they're doing could work. Like this, this could be the way Arizona gets back to being maybe not a dominant program. I don't know if you could say back to that because they really haven't been. But get back to a level where they're competing for bowl games every year and with the right recruiting class, with the right mix on the roster, could compete for more. Yeah, I mean, so so far it seems like Jed Fish and staff are basically did a checklist of everything Kevin Sumlin and staff did wrong, <laughs> uh, which is a lot, and basically have been doing the exact opposite. <laughs> um, I mean, right down to even, you know, getting more money for your assistant coach pool, but even beyond that, it, expanding your, uh, you know, your your front office in terms of alumni relations you know there's talk i can't remember if it's official yet of like brandon sanders was going to get a role potentially like high school outreach and um yeah having you know having all of these things set up for reaching out to every arizona high school uh to develop that relationship um you know de- developing those relationships you know at, at some point that just gets you access and maybe some nudges for some players mm-hmm. and then you know hopefully Coach Fish's Twitter game just seals the deal with these kids because they love the Twitter.com machine. The, the kids um, do love the Twitter, yes. You know, all we all we need to do is get uniforms that aren't terrible and we'll be I was gonna five say, stars in no time. If, if Jed Fish really wants to get everyone on board, he would get the uniforms to be... He'd just be like, hey, the throwback uniforms that we had? Every game. And then that'd be it. They'd build a statue then, I think, if he pulled that off. But... Yeah, I mean, that, those are the big things that kind of, like, where the football program's in, uh, car wash they had, a lot of the other coaches talked about their things, but just the, the reaction, other than, I guess, Clay Millen, it seems like the reaction from everyone out there has been really positive for this coaching staff, and they seem to be a group that people are excited to play for. The current commits all are saying good things. I mean, everyone's adopted the it's personal hashtag and that mindset. You know, like, that that's going to be the thing, and I don't mind it. Like, the buy-in seems to be there, which is really important from the players especially, but the fans now, the alumni, like, the where it matters, they seem to be getting it because they're putting in the work, and it shows just in their outreach to Arizona. And I will really, when they start landing recruits, like the big-time recruits, or winning those battles against the USC's, the UCLA's, some Pac-12 ones, and keeping those players home, then we'll really start to see if it's working. But for right now, they seem to be doing all they can to 
to write the ship, you know, to fix things. Like you said, doing everything that Kevin, someone and staff didn't do, you know, like they're, they're doing it and it's hard not to feel good. Yeah. And I, you know, there's been some interesting offers of aiming a little higher in future classes, which we're going to see if that pays off over time. Um, but yeah, you know, as of as of now, you know, the Clay Millen thing was like, oh, I guess we can't have all good news for for too long, <laughs> uh, you know, because it seemed like there was a quite the string of just positive positive things happening, and that was kind of a downer. But you know, we'll, we we will see. Um, you know, you got Jed Fish and a pretty solid offensive staff, and you got Doctor Blitz leading a, a pretty darn talented defensive staff. I would mm-hmm. I would contend. Um, with an, an intriguing balance of experience development, uh, you know, head coaching experience, even at the assistant coaches levels. Um, plus, you know, Dr. Blitz, like he has a medical degree in blitzing <laughs> or is it a dentistry degree? Yeah. We don't know. I mean, you can be a doctor in a lot of things actually, I think, I mean, I mean, I I'd like to think that Don Brown would say he, Dr. Blitz is a dentistry degree because he's, had so many guys get their teeth knocked out playing his defense, you know, make it like a branding thing. I don't know. And with that, we should probably call it a show. Probably. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a stretch. Uh, everyone, as always, thanks for listening. Make sure you're subscribing to this show on iTunes, on Spotify, where you get your podcasts. Rate us, review us, you know. But no matter what you do, smash that subscribe button. Uh, well, as we're going to do another show next week after Arizona plays a couple of games against ASU in basketball. And, of course, if there's any big football news, we'll be happy to talk about that. But otherwise, stay tuned to the Wildcat Radio uh, Twitter handle at Wildcat Radio AZ, the station itself, all sorts of different content coming out. And until next week, remember to bear down. Bear down. <laughs>